This is a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z-Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online. If I sounded a little bit distracted there, that's because my cat is uh, trying to decide where she wants to lay down. <laughs> she was trying to lay down next to me here, uh, but now she's gone over to the other uh, place where she likes to hang out, and uh, she's going to lay over there. Is that going to be good for you, kitty? Is that going to work? Are you going to be okay there? Okay. I, you can't hear her. She's not saying anything. She's ignoring me as usual. Uh, anyway, uh, welcome to Dimland Radio. It's me, your host, Jim, Dr. Jim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online. I think I already said that, but why not say it twice because. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, first up, my wife had an interesting uh, late afternoon, early evening uh, today. Uh, I got a call at work, at the office, just my, my day job. And, you know, later in the afternoon, I got a call on my cell phone. For my wife, and I'm, I look and I see it's her calling. Well, she has her own special ringtone, so I know it's her. Um, and it's my wife by the Who. That's that song, my wife by the because it's my wife calling. It's not not because you know the song's about the guy being afraid of his wife. I'm not I'm not terribly afraid of my wife. It's just you know I just thought it's my wife. You know it's a Who song, and it's she's my wife. See that that's why. Anyway, so that starts playing, and I think why is she calling? Why is she calling me on my cell phone? Why is she calling me? Why didn't she just text me? And uh, I answer, and, and uh, she's, she sounds a little uh, stressed. And uh, apparently, our next-door neighbor, um, a nice older woman, she's, I don't know, late 60s, I think, um, she had gotten her finger caught in her garage door. And she had damaged it, you know, tore off some skin, or, and, and she was bleeding quite a bit, and uh, and Amy's like, I, 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 who do I call? And the, the one thing I thought of was, uh, who's her insurance? You know, who, you know, maybe you can call it. So Amy called, and, and then she called me back, and she's okay. I'm bringing her to you know wherever she was bringing her, um, and then she ended up bringing her to a hospital. I think she brought her to what they they call the urgency room. It's like an urgent care place. She, but they, you know, they, they, they suggested that they bring her down to the hospital, which is just down the road. So they did. So Amy did, and our neighbor went in and got her got things taken care of while Amy waited out in the car, and she would text the neighbor just to keep, you know, tabs on what's going on. And uh, I don't know if she, we don't know if she got any stitches, uh, but she, you know, they, they uh, took some X-rays and gave her some shots, and and they said that she may have chipped a bone. Um, and that, you know, they, but they got her, you know, patched up, and then Amy got her home. Um, so it was, it was, you know, it was a bit of excitement, and I told Amy, says, I'm glad you were there, and I'm sure the neighbor was glad that Amy was there, and Amy was glad she was here to be able to help the neighbor out. So, uh, it was pretty exciting. There was some drops of blood on our back step. Is a, you know, Sandy, I guess, no, her name was Sandy. That's a neighbor's name. Um. She was bleeding pretty well. So, um, but uh, hopefully uh, all's well that ends well and, uh, and all that. So I'm just, I'm just really glad that Amy was available to help out the neighbor. Uh, I suppose she could have, uh, the neighbor would have, could have been just calling, you know, 911, whatever. But, uh, hey, you know, what are neighbors for? So that was a bit of excitement. Um, anyway, what I was going to start the show with was I got my flu shot. Actually, I got my flu shot uh, before I did last week's show. 
I record these on Friday nights. You should know that by now. And um, it was the, I think either the Thursday or Wednesday before I recorded last week's show. Um, I got a text from Amy saying that she had set up an appointment for her and Hayden to go to our clinic and get their flu shots that Friday. And, uh, you know, like one appointment was at 2.45 and one was at 3.15. And I thought, oh, maybe I can piggyback and go in with you guys and get my flu shot too. So I called the, the clinic and they said, well, uh, earliest we can get you in is uh, November 2nd. <laughs> I said, really? You know, they, and and uh, the person that was working with me said that your wife must have lucked out and got into a couple of cancellations. So that's okay. So then I uh, uh, thought, well, gee, what should I do? And while I was trying to scratching my head, trying to figure out what to do, um, the uh, the the clinic person that I was talking to on the phone said, well, you know, Target gives flu shots, or you know, Walgreens give flu shots. You can you can you can go there. They take walk-ins. And I said, huh, good idea. So immediately after I got off of work that day, whichever it was, Wednesday or Thursday, I can't remember, went on over to the pharmacy where we normally get our, our medicines. I asked, is it possible that if I can get my flu shot? And, you know, 10, 15 minutes later, pharmacist gave me my flu shot. And, uh, you know, which is good because, you know, I, I kind of have this weird competitiveness. I think I've got a long running streak of getting my flu shot before Amy and Hayden get theirs. I think I do. Uh, they, it's possible they got theirs before me one time, but uh, I think I've been pretty, you know, I get in before they do for some reason. Uh, anyway, so got the flu shot. Uh, Amy and Hayden got theirs on Friday. Uh, Amy asked me, she said, did your shot, did it sting more than flu shots usually do? And I said, I didn't really notice. And they said, for them, they felt it like it stung more than uh, than usual. Uh, my arm, my shoulder was pretty sore, but other than that, you know, I hadn't noticed. Now, uh, I don't know. It could be just a little difference in the formula because each year they they try to cover what what, uh, what they, you know the people make these vaccines. I think in the United States it's the CDC. Uh, they look at the trends of what's going on with the flus around the world and and see what's likely to be the strains uh, strain or strains that we're going to face this winter, and they they make vaccines key to that. And most, a lot of times they get it right on, but sometimes eh, they're kind of close, you know. But if you get 50% protection against the flu, 50% is better than zero, right? So 20% is better than zero. Well, anyway, I, um, for whatever reason, Amy and Hayden thought that there's stung a little bit more than previous flu shots had. Eh, you know. Uh, after I finished recording last week's show, I uh, got everything in place like I normally do, and then I sat down to just sort of, I don't know, watch, a, watch something before going to bed. And uh, I noticed that I felt kind of fluish. I thought, huh, what's going on with me? I feel like I have a little bit of a fever. Kind of some aches and pains here. Not terrible, but it just kind of felt a little, hmm, a little fluish. And then it hit me. I said, well, you just got your flu shot. And I'm not saying that the flu shot the flu shot does not give you the flu, but what it does, uh, if I hope I understand this correctly, is it gives you a little bit of the virus. It gives you a weakened form of the virus, a dead form of the virus. Sometimes there's the, the live virus in some vaccinations, and I'm not sure if that's in the flu shot or which which way of getting it. I'm not I'm not sure on the particulars there, but you get a little bit of the virus that they're protecting you against. And your body recognizes something's here, and we've got to take care of it. And it was explained to me that uh, when I got my shingles shots, I had two shots for my shingles, uh, that I felt fluish after those as well. And I was told by a friend who's a, a medical professional, uh, she said, well, that's your body doing what it's supposed to do. It's building up antibodies. It's building up its defenses against that virus. And that's you know so that your body knows... You know, you know, if you get exposed to something like the flu, you get exposed to that same strain, your body says, ah, we know how to deal with this, and kicks into action so that you don't end up getting the flu. So you kind of get it a little bit, 
but not really. So, so that's what she told me. She says, your body's just doing its job. The vaccine's doing its job. So there you go. Uh, there's also, and I think I might have mentioned this on the show, but uh, the way we've been living in the COVID age, uh, you know, people wearing masks, it's getting a bit better as far as compliance, although still not where it should be. I just saw some video that a, a high school friend put up on Facebook, and he's at some sort of sausage party. <laughs> in a, and it looks like in a garage with a whole bunch of people in there. None of them are wearing masks. None of them are distancing. And it's just like, you know, enjoy the COVID. <laughs> I hope you don't get it, but if you do, I hope you enjoy it, you know. Anyway, it, it, you know, uh, Dr. Fauci just said fairly recently, says if, if we could get people to comply with the masks, <laughs> wearing masks, washing their hands, and socially distancing, we could see the COVID disappear. I mean, we, or not disappear, but the, we could see the rates go way down. And he said in about six weeks' time, we would see the rates go way down if people would just follow the guidelines. If we get people following the guidelines, there's another benefit to that. Wearing masks, keeping your distance, washing your hands. If we do that, we can lessen the severity of the cold and flu season because we'll be protecting ourselves against that too. So do it. And, and, and with, the, with the flu, we have this other weapon, which is the vaccine. Get your vaccine, wash your hands, wear a mask, keep your distance. You'll protect yourself from the flu and from the COVID and you'll protect others. So, you know, just do it. I don't... Okay. All right. So that's... There you go. I got my flu shot. Uh, you know, you should get yours. And uh, and that's what... You, and if you do get your flu shot and you feel a little fluish in a day or two after it, that's because the vaccine's doing its job. Okay. Um, what have I got next? Uh, I'm, I, you know how I say at the end of the show, be skeptical and extraordinary claims and all that. Uh, I need, you know, sometimes I don't you know, do much skepticism. I think I have this general attitude of skepticism with the show, but I don't really do a, a real um, take apart of something often from a skeptical point of view. Eh, maybe I do, maybe I don't. But it's, you know, I talked about uh, a Bigfoot film a while back, a couple Bigfoot films a while back, and, and gave it the good skeptical look and, and all that. But I thought, I, I heard something on a podcast called Case File, which is a podcast that's produced uh, in, uh, in Australia. And it has a host that we don't know who he is. He's just known as the uh, uh, anonymous host. And my wife suggested that I listen to that show. And I know I've talked about it before, uh, here uh, in a pedantic moment where he got <clears throat> the, uh, the the episode was about something that took place here in the Twin Cities and he got some geography wrong <laughs> about the Twin Cities. It's not surprising that the you know, he's in Australia. What, what would he know about how the Twin Cities are laid out? But okay, but that's just to remind you that's why I had a pedantic moment about that. Um, so I uh, a recent episode was about this little thing here, and um, uh, and it's it's something that some a good healthy dose of skepticism, uh, some good critical thinking skills, could have avoided something really pretty gross and ugly and disgusting and just awful happening to uh, a young woman that just was it was just. Uh, well, I'll tell the story. I'll, I won't go through the detail that Case File does. I'll link to that in the show notes. Go to dimland.com, click on the show notes, and you'll get and you'll find the uh, show notes for this this week's show. And I'll have a link on there so you can pull up the uh, the Case Files uh, episode and listen to that. And you can just be a, as appalled as I was when I, when I listened to it. Now I remembered the case from when it came up uh, back in the early two thousands. Uh, but this, they, they give it a, a deep dive. And I'll also link to uh, uh, an, an ABC Primetime Live, or Primetime, yeah, I think that's what they call it, ABC Primetime Live. It's a news magazine that they would do. Uh, I'll link to that as well, uh, so that it has a little bit of a, a report, uh, a segment of the report about it, showing the, the, uh, the, the really bad stuff that was going on. And, okay, so, <clears throat> you know, there are, 
phone scams. You know that there's you know the 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 phone calls you'll get where you get this automated you know this this robot voice. It won't sound like a robot, but you know it's one of those bots that'll say, you know your your vehicle warranty is running out. It's trying to get you to sign up for some warranty thing, or you might get one that's it's a recorded message saying that your social security number has been suspended, and you better you know press one so you can get connected with somebody. Otherwise, the authorities are going to come after you. It just they're scams. They're just scams. Yeah, the social security department is not going to call you on the phone and tell you they've suspended your number, and that that's it's just bullshit. So just hang up. Don't worry about it. Uh, anyway, this is a phone scam. And uh, it took place in, uh, this particular incident uh, took place in, I think it was 2003, 2004, sorry, 2004, in, in a town in, in Kentucky, and it involved a McDonald's. Uh, and a young woman named uh, Louise uh, Ogburn, and uh, she, uh, she was, uh, I think, about 18, and she worked for uh, McDonald's, and she was... Uh, um, uh, I think her family's a little lower income, so she would work whatever hours she could uh, to, you know, to earn extra money. Uh, she was looking to go to college and study pre-med and uh, all this that kind of stuff. And um, she was working a shift one day, and somebody called in sick, or they needed uh, uh, someone to cover after her shift would come to an end, and they said, well, can you stick around while we... Uh, find somebody else to cover the full shift and she's sure I'll pick up some more time so she was preparing to do that when a phone call came in now the phone call it was the phone was answered by the assistant manager at the store uh, named Donna Summers Summers not summer not the disco singer uh, Donna Summers answers the phone and it's a police officer uh, officer Scott saying that uh, uh, describing a young woman that worked at the store saying that she was involved in a theft of, of a little girl so stole something from this little girl who had been in the store earlier or the restaurant earlier and you know and uh, and she's and the Donna says well that sounds like like Louise and they said well you need to bring her back to your office and just hold her there till we get police officers down there so Donna does that, and she and, and stay on the phone with me while we get through this, and and so she does that, and um, what happens is it's like a three-hour ordeal for Louise, which starts with uh, with Donna, assistant manager, and another assistant manager, uh, someone named Kim uh, Doherty or something like that. Uh, the two of them are in the office manager's, you know, the 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 manager's office, and. The, the cop on the phone tells Donna, well, this is what you're going to need to do. You're going to need to strip search Louise. You're going to have to have her undress and check through her clothes and make sure that whatever she's looking for. And she does it. And the other woman's there, you know, just witnessing. And at some point, the, the this other assistant manager, she leaves to go do the work that she has to do. But there's, there's Donna and Louise in the manager's office. Louise is naked, so Donna, you know, and Donna's told she's told to take her clothes, the the, the girls, you know, the young woman's clothes, take those clothes and put them out in in, in Donna's car, and then you know, and then uh, you know, and Donna ends up giving Louise a, a an apron to cover herself, and she's sitting in a chair and 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 going through all this stuff on the phone, and she, they, you know, Louise talks to the cop on the phone, and and and, and at some point. You know, Don is telling this police officer, "Look, I, I've got to. You know, I'm managing the store. I got to go. I got to. You know, I can't. I. You know." And he says, "Well, do can you have somebody watch Louise while you do that?" So she goes out and she gets this fellow named Jason Bradley. He's 27 years old. Works there. Has brings him back to the office, and probably gives him a little bit of a lowdown. Puts him on the phone with with the cop, and the cop is telling. You know, it's a, it, you know, Donna leaves. The cop tells this this young fellow. You, you know, tell her, you know, you've got to take the apron away from the, you know, the young woman and describe her to me. And he gives these reasons why, you know, if she's sweating, it could indicate certain drug use or so whatever. She's, he, this, this cop has all these reasons. And young Jason says, 
no, I'm not doing that. Now we can see video footage of the manager's office in the, in the ABC piece. We can see this on surveillance video. And you can see that this Jason is, is trying not to look at Louise. He's trying mm -hmm. to keep his gaze away from her. And he's, on the phone. he's like, no. And he leaves the office. Mm -hmm. And he goes and he tells Donna, this is bullshit. And he goes back to work. Donna goes back in the office and gets back with the cop on the phone. And the cop says, well, you know, do you have somebody else that you could help us with to do this? And, and then the, I guess the cop asks her, are you married? And she says, uh, uh, well, I'm engaged. Well, can your fiancé help? So she calls in her fiancé. Now, Donna's about 40-something. Her fiancé's 43. She calls in the fiancé. I will have more on this story when I get back from my first break here. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the Talk Radio Network at ctalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dimfit Simmons. I'll be back with this. This is a disgusting story. Other guys. The finger. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. Okay, I have something here. It's it's an EVP. I'm telling you, it's really something. Um, I need to call it up. I got to tell you, this is uh, really shaking me. I need to play it for you. And uh, well. I won't. Uh, I won't prejudice your mind as to what you're going to hear. I won't prime the pump. Just have a listen. Get out! Did you hear it? Did you hear it? I I, I think that was clear as day. I heard. Well, I don't understand it, but it's, I heard bread trout. Clear as day. Whew, creepy. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, on Z-Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and, of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. Hey, this is Danny Potts from the Kentucky Ghost Chasers, and you're listening to Z Talk Radio. And welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Oh, those words were going out of skew for some reason. Uh, and I'm going on about this, this really horrific story. Okay, so the fiancé is brought in. His name is Walter, Walter Nix. He's brought into the mix here. Next to the mix. <laughs> and Donna goes back to doing her work. There's naked Louise with a with an apron on her. And here's this 43-year-old guy. He gets on the phone with Officer Scott. And he's told to have Louise do things. Such as run in place. You know, drop the apron. Run in place. Do jumping jacks, which, by the way, in Australia, jumping jacks are called star jumps. Because I was listening to Case Files, he talked about how you know he this this you know Louise had to do these star jumps, and I thought, 
what the hell's a star jump? And just listening to it a few times, you know, hearing him refer to it a few times, I thought, ah, oh, I bet you those are jumping jacks. And then I looked it up, and sure enough, it's jumping jacks. So, okay, run in place. Do jumping jacks. At one point, the uh, and, and Louise is complying. She's just a kid. And these are authorities. These are adults. She says she was raised by her parents to, you know, listen to adults. Do as you're told. You know, and she's she's trapped. She can't run out of there. She's naked. It's not like she, you know her clothes are gone. She's got what? She, what can she do? So, <clears throat> so she's complying pretty much with what's going on here. Pretty much, you know, I'd say pretty much. I'll have a reason why I said pretty much. So, uh, at one point, the officer has uh, Walter have Louise bend over at him and open her lady part up so that Walter could take a look inside to see that nothing's hidden in there. Mm-hmm. And then have her sit on his lap and give him a kiss. See, the, the kiss, would the, the Walter should be able to, if it has a certain taste, that could indicate that she's on some drugs, meth or something. Well, she refused to do that. That's why I said the pretty much. She said she wasn't going to do that. Well, then, because she wasn't going to comply there, you know, uh, the the officer had Louise bend over his lap so that he could spank her, and she does that, and then then she I think then she complies with doing the kiss. Ultimately, the the, the most humiliating, awfulest part of this whole humiliating experience experience that this young woman's going through is uh, the cop because the, the phone's being passed between the two of them. You know, the the fiance dude. And, and this young woman who's being tortured. The phone's being passed back and forth. And the police officer says, you got to, you know, well, perform oral sex on the guy. Now, while this is happening, you know, this, this whole thing, which is going on for, for Louise, what would seem to be forever, uh, Donna keeps popping back into the office to do something, to kind of check on things. And each time... You know they act as though nothing's happening. You know, it's, and and Donna said, or not Donna, uh, Louise had said that uh, that Walter told her, "Shush, don't say anything." And he throws her the the apron to cover herself back up. And, and because that's what the officer was telling him, don't let you know. I guess. And so there was at least one time where Donna came back into the room because she said, "Well, they were always they were just sitting there, not saying anything to each other." And she's got the apron on him, you know. Uh, on her, and uh, there was at least once when she came back, where as she walks in, the young woman is still is naked. She doesn't have the apron. Walter had it, and he tosses it to her as Donna walks by. Okay, well, I, I, Walter is start I, is starting to get creeped, uh, freaked out by the stuff that's going on. I, I, I don't. I think part of Walter was enjoying what was happening, but I think he was starting to feel guilty about it because he starts telling the officer, "I can't do this anymore," or something. I got to get out of here. Or he talk, gets his, gets the officer to let him go. This is, and the officer's on the phone. Let, let him go, and then and and Donna comes back and he puts Donna on the phone and 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 and, and the, the officer says, "Well, you got to have some other guy come back there and watch." Louise, you got to do that because if you're working down, I, I need you know. It just so happened that another employee of the store, a maintenance guy, was there having some dessert. He just stopped there that evening, so Donna gets him to come back. Now, this is a 58-year-old dude. She brings him in there, puts him on the phone with the cop. The cop starts telling him to do the stuff, and he says, "No, I'm not doing that." And he looks at Donna and says, "We're not doing this." You know, he just his refusal finally woke up something in Donna's brain. Hang on, am I being played? Uh, and while all of this was going on, while Donna was talking to the, this police officer, the officer was saying that he had Donna's boss on the other line. So Donna finally decides to call her boss, a woman named Lisa, call her up and say. You know, uh, have you been talking to the police? And and the Lisa doesn't know anything about it. She was at home sleeping. This is a busy Friday night, so you know, this stuff's going on. This is where Donna finally figures it out. 
and she's horrified. She gets the clothes for Louise. She calls, you know, to the the other other managers start to come into the store to, to see what they need to do. Uh, uh, they they did a star six nine to, 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 before anybody could call in. They quickly did a star six nine to see if they could get the number that had called in. They had that. Then they called the police. The police are just a quarter mile away. They're there in five minutes, and then they start to investigate what's going on. It turns out that this sort of incident had been happening since about 1992 and you know covering like 30 different states there are about 70 different uh, incidences of this happening where somebody calls in to a restaurant usually sometimes it's a grocery store gets a manager to start doing things to an employee or it's some variation on that by saying they're the police and all that and and then they, they, the, the police now investigate this, and they, they, they find this guy that they believe did it. His name is David Stewart. And he's a, he's a husband and a father of five. And, you know, they bring him to, to trial uh, for the crimes of, uh, what was it, impersonating a police officer and uh, soliciting acts of sodomy. Uh, he's acquitted. <laughs> In, uh, and if this is 2004 when this happens, it's 2006 he goes on trial. And on uh, Halloween 2006, he's acquitted. And they believe that it was the, uh, the, the, uh, the jury didn't, there wasn't direct evidence really linking him to it. They didn't feel that the, that was strong enough. So, uh, but the police did say that those kinds of calls stopped after that. And it's it, so, yeah. That that's another bit of infuriatingness to the story because you go through all that, and the guy is acquitted. Uh, there's follow-up to the story, but you know because Donna is sort of a victim here too, but she's also sort of uh, she's also a victimizer. And Walter, the fiance, he's put on trial and he gets five years in prison. For sexual assault or you know the stuff that he did, uh, to you know, and Walter, like I said, part of me thinks that he was enjoying what he was doing a little bit, uh, but he was probably also feeling guilty about it. So when he finally begged out of the situation, he uh, he left and he calls a friend of his and says, uh, "I have the quote," uh, said, "I have done something." Uh, terribly bad. I've done something terribly bad. Uh, most of this information I'm getting from here comes from uh, Wikipedia, but there's also the Case Files episode that you get a lot of stuff from that, and there's some other little bits and pieces here. There was a movie produced in uh, 2012 called Compliance that is based on this incident. Uh, some stuff has changed, obviously, for dramatic purposes, and to, you know, it's not McDonald's restaurant, it's some other made up non. You know, a fictional restaurant, but it was. Um, uh, it's it just listening to it was so infuriating. And why was it infuriating? Because, as a skeptic, you're thinking, okay, it, it's there was one person in there early on, the 27 year old that was brought back, who sniffed it out as bullshit. But that's all he did. He just went back to work. He didn't get on a phone and call the police and saying, hey, look. Do you guys have a police officer having my my boss strip search one of our employees? Do you have this going on? You know, it's, it's, he didn't he didn't follow through, but he had the skepticism enough to sniff through this and say, "This is bullshit." Is this some kind of new procedure that police have now, having civilians do strip searches of suspects? I just don't. What the hell? Do this over the phone? You know, says what's wrong, Donna? Why aren't you thinking? And it just it didn't it didn't click. She she's being interviewed by John Quinones on the, uh, the the ABC program, and she tells they tell this part about Jason walking out saying it's BS, and she says well, he told me that this was BS, and he said and Quinones asks her, didn't you start thinking that this was something something wrong here when when he reacts that way? And she says, well, I don't know what he was mad about. So. <laughs> You know, it's like, uh, 
I think there's been some kind of reconciliation between Donna and 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 Louise. I think Louise was charitable as far as understanding that Donna thought she was doing what she was supposed to do. But it's just horrible. That's why you know some critical thinking, some skepticism needed to be there. You need it to, and the fact that this has happened in other places that it had happened. Some people, according to case files, some places just refuse to comply. Some complied gleefully, you know, get get a nice young uh, woman naked, you know, and do stuff. Some place, you know, there were some people that just went with it, and that's why, you know, I have a little bit of feeling that way, maybe more than a little bit of feeling that way toward Walter, but I don't know. I mean, Walter did admit to a friend that I think I've done something horribly, terribly wrong, or you know, words to that effect. But you know that's that's why skepticism worked. Now I'd worked at a, at at a uh, fast food restaurant back in um, the, the mid to late eighties for five and a half years or so. I worked at Wendy's, and I I was thinking, okay, back at that age, I was you know late teens into my twenties. Would I how what would I? I'd like to think that I would not have complied. I think I think I would have gone as far as can you take her back to the office and have her you know hold her in your in the office until the police can come down. And I think I'd go that far. But if I'm on the phone, the guy with the guy says, okay, now what I'm gonna need you to do is have her take her clothes off. I would say, I'm sorry, what? You want me to do what? You know, screw you, pal. No way. And hang up on him. That's what I'd like to think that I would have done. I certainly would have done it by the time I was in my 40s, because at that point I had, you know, gotten into this idea of skepticism and the movement of skepticism and reading about it. And you know, I, by that point, and this is, you know, should be some common sense here too. But certainly by that point, by the time I was the age that this that Donna was and her fiance was, I would be saying, no, 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 this is not happening. This is not happening. I, you know, I imagine myself being there and being that that Jason, uh, the kid brought back, and walking into the office and seeing one of my coworkers standing there naked, hiding herself with an apron, and and saying, and, and when Donna tells me, you know, my my manager boss tells me what's going on, I said, what, what are you, what are you stupid, are you stupid or something? You're gonna be kidding me. The guy's a cop. How do you know he's a cop? Because he told you over the phone. <laughs> it's like that's I I would love to. I would hope, I should say, that I would act that way. I would not love to be in that situation because I don't want somebody to be tortured. And this poor kid, this poor kid, to have that school. And the whole ordeal lasted something like three hours before Donna figured out that, oh, hang on, I'm being duped. Now, this made me think of something while I was hearing this story. And when I, when I was getting it ready to tell you this on my show. It was making me think of an experiment that was done, apparently in 1963, thereabouts. And there's a fellow named uh, psychologist at uh, uh, Yale University back in those days. Uh, his name was Stanley Milgram. And he, he was trying to figure out how you know, people that would be thought to be generally and, and, and basically good people uh, would go along with the Holocaust, you know, in you know Nazi Germany and and the killing of all those Jewish folks and others in the millions. How they would go along with it? I'll tell you more about that bit when I come back from my break. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host Jim Dr. Dimfit Simmons. I'll be back after this. <laughs> Listening to Z Talk Radio Network. I am living on Channel Z. He's endlessly pushing the rock of reason up the hill of paranormal. It's Dr. Dim, and you're listening to Dimland Radio on Z Talk Radio Network. 
The Earth is only 6,000 years old. That's what Answers in Genesis and the Creation Museum say, and how can a museum be wrong? Isn't Dr. Oz just wonderful? I love today's episode. It didn't talk down to his adoring audience of women at all. Science has proved that the subatomic quantum realm is as real as it is counterintuitive and bizarre. Therefore, I can use it to support quantum healing and quantum consciousness. After all, how can journals like Aquarius Metaphysics be wrong? Evolution is just a theory. After all, if we came from monkeys, then why are there still monkeys? We all have friends and family who believe these things and much more. Well, if you're a rational thinker who is tired of arguing on social media and never getting anywhere, we have a solution for you. Join the Gorilla Skepticism and Wikipedia team and we will teach you how to add reliable scientific and skeptical information to the world's number one source of information, Wikipedia. We write new articles and improve existing ones. We remove pseudoscience, paranormal and alt-med claims substituting the actual facts. And we operate in many languages. We've already reached tens of millions of people searching for information, but as you can imagine, we can never do enough. So please, join us. All you need is a PC and the desire to help educate the planet. In fact, you'll be educating the world while you sleep. Contact us at gsowteam at gmail.com. Guerrilla Skepticism. The time is now. Music by purpleplanet.com. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. Welcome back to Dimland Radio here in the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Okay, continuing on with this thought that I had while listening to the story of this young woman being tortured, physically assaulted, uh, sexually assaulted, because some guy on the phone called and said he was a cop. And people listen to authority and do what they're told. There was a, in the 1960s, there was a, a, a psychologist named Stanley Milgram working for Yale University. Um, he was trying to figure out why what would be considered basically decent people, good people, would go along with something like the Holocaust. And he, he had people come in for this experiment. And what that was, the experiment was this. Um, uh, he, he he wouldn't tell he'd be a little dishonest about why he was having people come in to make four bucks an hour, uh, and and it was he said it was some education and learning kind of stuff and mem- memory stuff and it sort of was that uh, people would come in and uh, there would be two participants, you know, there'd be the experimenter and there'd be these two participants and and they were told that uh, uh, one of the participants would be the teacher one would be the the learner, the student, and they found you know a way to randomly pick which was which. However, the person that would be the student was the con- was a confederate of the experimenter. They were in on it, so they set it up so that the person that they, they were really the the person they were participating that was the person that was participating in the experiment, the subject of the experiment. You know, they they would always be the teacher, and so they would have these words that the learner was supposed to memorize and get. You know, and they and if they got something wrong, well, here's what happened: uh, that the, the 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 learner would be hooked up to some electrode stuff, some wires and stuff would be put on, and they they'd be they'd they'd go and they'd sit on the other side of a screen, and the teacher would sit at this table, and on it would be this. Uh, this box with uh, switches on it and levels of voltage noted from from 15 volts up to 450 volts and the, and the the experimenter would you know be sitting there observing wearing a lab coat with a clipboard 
and the teacher would be would be doing these questions or to get the answer from the learner and whenever the learner would get something wrong the teacher would have to hit a switch and give a little shock to the to the student uh, and it would start out at the lower voltage and work their way up and uh, now obviously uh, you know, it should be obvious if me telling you this. Uh, the the learner being in on what's going on was not really hooked up to anything that was going to shock them. They would act. So they would act as though they were going to shock. At first, it'd be like, oh, oh, it'd be that kind of a reaction, and then it became, oh, that's really hurtful. Let's stop it. I don't want to do this anymore. That kind of thing. And the 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 teacher person would be saying to the experimenter, I, I, really, you should check on this person. Or, I, I, don't, I don't want to keep going. No, you got to, please, you know, please, you got to do this experiment. And they would just keep um, um, forcing their authority onto this teacher person. And what they found was that 65% of the participants, the teachers, went all the way up to 450 volts. 65%. 100%, all of them went to at least 300 volts in, in this thing. So they would listen to the authority up to at least 300 volts and then say, okay, I can't, I can't do this anymore. No, I don't care. I don't care what you say. I'm not doing this anymore. And, and there's some, I'll link to it on the show notes. You'll, you'll see this. There's some video where there's a fellow that's really kind of, you know, upset about what's going on. Um, the the experiment was criticized that it wasn't exactly well it wasn't very ethical. <laughs> uh, they had to lie to the participant about what they were doing, um, and they suggested that some of the people might have been able to see through the idea that wait a minute this person isn't really being shocked because they may not have believed they're acting, and I can see that in that video clip that when the person's yelling about how painful it is, I thought eh, they don't really sound all that convincing to me. Excuse me, I have to take a sip. You know, when you talk for about an hour, your voice can get dried out. That's, but, the, but that experiment is what came to mind when I was listening to this story of uh, somebody calling in on the phone, telling you that they're a police officer, and then having, you know, you do, you know, well, having the person do worse and worse and worse things. Um, oh, I, I guess Donna, you know, the Donna Summers, she did an all, uh, what's it called, uh, an Alford plea, which is a plea where um, they don't admit guilt, but they do admit that uh, the evidence would convict them. So they put that plea in there. So she had that. She got probation and all that. And I think there were some lawsuits about it because part of what we learned uh, through the case files episode is that McDonald's had known about these kinds of things and they didn't do a very good job teaching training their managers to know that this was happening and I, I can't remember the date it was but it was a, one of the most absurd lines I've heard in my life on the case file episode they said that uh, McDonald's had uh, 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 abolished or you know had made it against their policy you know, strip searches are against policy in something like 2002, 2003, something like that. That they had made it against McDonald's policy to do strip searches of employees. I, <laughs> I heard this, uh, what? But, you know, that's probably one of those things where you don't even think about it. Nobody does would do a strip search, but, they, but it came up because of some of these calls that were happening. And, and, and McDonald's knew about it, and they did a poor job of training their management staff that if something like this happens you do not comply you do not strip search you do not do this so it's gross <laughs> and anyway so it, uh, the Milgram experiment is very interesting it may not be a great experiment or as far as what we learn from it it may not really reflect the real world uh, but it's, it's, it's interesting and it, that's what I was thinking of when I was listening to the case file story about poor Louise uh, Ogborn. Oh, God, it's so awful. Now something that's not awful. And uh, 
I'll try to squeeze this in as quickly as I can. Um, the movie Planet of the Apes from 1968. Charlton Heston stars in that. Roddy McDowell, uh, Kim Hunter, Maurice Evans, uh, James Whitmore, Linda Harrison, was that her name? I don't know, she played Nova. I can't just think I remember. Um, it's, a, it's a movie about, uh, it, you know, uh, um, Charlton Heston plays a fellow named Taylor. He's an astronaut. He's part of a team of uh, four astronauts that are sent out into deep space, put into suspended animation. They land on a planet that they believe to be way far away, and they, they figure they're at least 2,000 years in the future from when they left, and they're on a planet that's ruled by apes. And the apes can talk, and they speak English. And at that point, Taylor should have said, Ah, I'm on Earth. <laughs> but no... It's not till the very end of the movie where he encounters the, 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 the ruins of the Statue of Liberty that he realizes he's on Earth. Sorry if I spoiled that movie for you. Sorry. 68, 1968. It's old. You, know, you should have seen it by now. Um, there's something... Uh, there's a video that I'll link to that you can check out. There's something that, uh, uh, that they, they talk about. This strange phenomenon took place while... Uh, uh, Planet of the Apes was being produced. Now, it had a budget of about $5 million, and half a million of that went toward makeup, which is not surprising. And it's uh, the makeup artist John Chambers is the one that came up with the, the ape makeup. And when that movie got into production, pretty much every makeup artist in Hollywood worked on it. And, the, and Chambers had to come up with a way of creating this, this uh, assembly line, way of doing the makeup to, you know, to, to, you know, to get this done. So you would have the, you'd have the main actors. Their makeup was, was, of course, better than the secondary actors, which was better than the tertiary actors, and which was better than, than, the, than the, the extras. I mean, as you go back, because you would make a, a full mask, and the, that wouldn't be as articulated as the main actors, which would have parts and pieces put on and, and, and all that. So um, they had to come up with a way of doing this, and they, they got really good at it, and they got it down to a three-hour makeup time. You know, from, from, It must have been longer than that at first, but they got it down to three hours. He won an honorary Oscar, because they didn't have an Oscar for makeup at, in 1968, they wouldn't have it for another few years, so they gave them. They made an honorary Oscar for him because of this feat that he was able to do, and he did a pretty good job with the makeup. It looks like it doesn't, you know, it's not so convincing to us now, but but it still looks pretty good. It's just you know we're used to a different level of real of realism when we see stuff. So <clears throat> the phenomenon that was noticed was that of the of the secondary actors and especially the extras in that what would happen would be when they'd have lunch breaks people would segregate themselves according to species so the gorillas would eat with the gorillas orangutans with the orangutans chimps with the chimps and humans with humans and they just did this and they couldn't figure out why there was just this was this was weird Charlton Heston he had no idea why this was happening why they would separate themselves according to species. Because they'd be in full makeup and everything. And I have an idea. Now, this is just me speculating. I'm not a psychologist, so I don't know. But um, it, it, it boils down to the idea that they made it into a, an assembly line. This, and I don't know exactly how they did it. Could have been a couple of ways. Uh, they could have different call times. Gorillas, you get here at 5 a.m., uh, you know, and they, they could have had call times like that and um, staggered them that way. Chimps come next or whatever, whoever. But I have a feeling it was more like this. They would have the makeup artists in teams. Once the makeups are designed and figured out what's going to be happening, they would have teams. So let's say they had trailers, makeup trailers. And so gorillas, you all go to this trailer to be made up as gorillas. This trailer is for chimps. This one's for orangutans. And so this one's for the humans. So they would set them up that way. And that, to me, suggests that, you know, if we're talking about the extras, well, they'd show up, 
and they'd be in the group. Um, you know, they'd be playing playing a gorilla each day. They're not going to play a gorilla one day and a chimp the next day. They're going to play a gorilla all the way through, and same with all the rest of them. They're not going to switch it out. Um, and so, so the, so you'd have a group of gorilla of of extras that are playing gorillas. They'd be they'd be gathered together before they even get their makeup on. And they, and, you know, just like, just like if you have a company that's that's open twenty four hours a day, and you have, you know, you have your first shift workers, you got second shift and third shift, and then this company shuts down for a weekend to have everybody come to a to a um, you know a weekend party thing, and you can expect that the day shift people are going to hang out together, the second shift people are going to hang out together, and the third shift people are going to hang out together because they know each other. This is the acquaintanceships that are made, or friendships that are made. So on a film like this, if you've got the group of people that are going to be playing the gorillas, and they're going to hang out together. So once they got their makeup on, they know the other people anyway. That's why they're going to get together and eat lunch together. Because they know each other. Because they're in the same group. It's not because of their species. It's not some kind of weird psychological thing. Well, I'm a gorilla. I can only eat with gorillas. It's because I'm in the gorilla group. I know this. I know Frank and Bob and, and Sarah. I know them. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> these other people are playing the chimps or the other people that are playing the primitive humans. I don't know them, but I know these guys because they're in my group. Doesn't that make sense? It makes sense to me. I could be wrong. Uh, before I go, uh, I need to have one of these. Now it's time for a Dimland Radio Pedantic Moment. Yeah, this ought to be good. Well, it's going to be quick. Uh, on Facebook, somebody shared this image uh, where the text says, it, it shows an, it's a drawing of an angle. So it's got the, the horizontal line and the vertical line, right? Or the line that's, well, in this case, almost vertical. And then it has the curved line coming around. So it's making a quarter of a circle, or almost a quarter of a circle. And they say, this is an 89 degree angle. Perfectionists, have a nice day. Something like that. And it's meant to make perfectionists crazy because it's not a 90 degree angle. It's, just, it's, it's, it's not 90 degrees. It's, it's, it's going to bother us, uh, the perfectionists. And I looked at it and I said, why would that bother any perfectionists? It says it's an 89 degree angle. It doesn't say it's a 90 degree angle. It says it's an 89 degree angle. And if that's an 89 degree angle, why would a perfectionist have a problem with it? But that's where it gets deeper. <laughs> There's a Reddit group that where somebody took that image and put it in an angle thing, and it turns out the angle is actually a little bit less than 88 degrees. That's drawn. So maybe that's the deeper play. I don't know. <laughs> but... If for it to be, you know, in, in a general pedantic sense, a perfectionist would not be bothered by something that's being labeled as an 89 degree angle and what they see is an 89 degree angle. A perfectionist is not going to be bothered by that. They would be if it was a 90 degree angle and it's shorter of, short of 90 degrees. That would bother them. See? There you go. Nice and simple. That's what the problem is, except for that fact that it's not, well, you know, what are you going to do? Good night, Herr Doctor. Good night, Frau Blucher. Well, you know, as always, be skeptical, and extraordinary claims extra require extraordinary evidence. Don't just take the fact that, you know, that, don't accept that the guy's a cop because he says he is if it's on the phone. Um, be patient, wash your hands, social distance, wear a mask, stay home and stay safe, and you've been listening to Dimland Radio on the Z-Talk Radio Network, and I am your host, Jim, Dr. Jim Simmons, reminding you to sleep with the lights off. check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission.
This has been a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. And now, a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in. Well, I'm going to hell.